Witty, thought-provoking, and uplifting, Southern Soul Livestream is a program that you'll invite your friends over to watch every week where you'll learn about interesting guests and get to share in their fascinating experiences. Tune in each Thursday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern to connect with guests from across the generations and to laugh with our eclectic hosts who are as charming as they are talented. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here's our host, Calvin. First up is my brother, Lindsay, and I just want to kind of get us started by telling you a little bit about Lindsay Mills. Lindsay Mills is a serial entrepreneur and author who distills his experience and observations from a career of small business management and mastery in a new book entitled Your Business Venture, the prep, the pitch, and the funding. One thing I like about this book as I began to review it is I spent many years slaving away in business school. And what I can appreciate about this book is Lindsay has a way of summarizing the things that are most important to you. But I'm going to let him tell you most. Lindsay, my brother, welcome to the show. Thank you, Calvin. I really appreciate the uh, the show, what you, the vibe you bring, and the good music and uh, the community that you're building. So, thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Thank you. You know, when we first sat down, you know, I was really, really um, pleased because when I first saw your book, I was like, okay, this is cool, but I had no idea of the backstory, right, of how you got started and how you got started and why you decided to write the book. But if you would, just kind of get us started. Tell us about your origin story, how you got started, your background, where you went to school, anything, you know, things are important to you. Let the audience get to know you. Well, first of all, I'm very proud. You probably tell by my accent, I'm a country boy from Jacksonville, North Carolina, and had an opportunity to go to Davidson College uh, in 1988 and uh, stay there to 1992. Uh, I did have a stint at HBCU, which is Howard University, uh, HU, you know. Uh, so I had an opportunity to go there for a uh, what we call going abroad. So my abroad was going to uh, the Black College in, um, at Howard University in D.C. So really enjoyed being on the yard and meeting folks there. Uh, so uh, at Davidson, I was able to, you know, see things that I hadn't seen in Jacksonville, North Carolina, which was, you know, wealth from other families. And I saw that people could give monies and donate at a much higher level than what I thought my family could donate at or, or give, but they just had different opportunities. And so during that process, I had an opportunity to team up with a, a good friend at the time and who's now become my wife, Michelle Serrano. And we started a couple businesses there. And the first business we started was uh, Positivities, which was a T-shirt business. And um, that was the business that we took and, and started doing T-shirts for organizations and everything. And then we started another business while we were there. And this might have been the first one, which was Our Story Consulting, where we were teaching kids in the community about African and African-American history. So our role in doing that is just taking the information that we've been exposed to and, and allowed to see and sharing it with the community and our folks. So we're, we're, we're always the ones that go tell it. So if we find out some information or how to do things about finance, money, business, or whatever it is, we bring it to our community. And so that's what we did. And um, from that point on, 
that's been our goal. And my goal too, is to take information that I've had the ability and fortunate to learn and been exposed to and bring that to the community. Uh, in Davidson, I was a sociology major. I didn't start out as a sociology major. I started out as the, the engineer. I was supposed to go three years at Davidson and then go to Clemson or NC State and get my engineering degree. But uh, after I had my first uh, internship, I found out that that's not what I wanted to do. Engineering, I was taking apart computers, IBM computers, putting them together, and then you know taking that. So that wasn't my passion. And so I started learning about you know courses that were interesting to me. And sociology became interesting because I could learn about family, uh, medicine, business, finance, and I could write about those things. And so as part of one of my papers that I wrote, uh, which was about Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, what was the difference? Uh, that was the first T-shirt. Uh, one of the first T-shirts that we did was the, the difference between Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. And uh, we started selling those on campus. And so always been an entrepreneur since sixth grade, shout selling candy in sixth grade out of my book bag and uh, has taken that and all the things that I've learned and all the opportunities I've had, learned to create businesses around that um, so that's kind of how I got started. I can go into a little bit more, but I'll let you um, follow, have a follow-up question or if you have any questions from there. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. You know, um, you remind me of one of my favorite parts of your story is how you met your wife, right? And I happen to know how valuable that story is because, you know, when it comes to doing business, doing business with family is hard. And people don't really believe it. They're like, well, I, you know, I know this person. I live with them. I work with them. Why is it not hard? So I tell people, one thing about doing business with family is this. Eventually in business, there's come a time when people don't want to go to work and people don't want to do work. And that's called a performance conversation. Now, if you're a man or a wife, having that performance conversation can be a little hard. You could be a brother or a sister. When you got to go to a relative and be like, hey, you ain't doing what we need you to do. That's hard. You may end up sleeping on the couch. Now, I know because I didn't slept on some couches. But the point is, that's hard, man. But one thing I can appreciate the value of that story is that, you know, you and Michelle, through my perspective, have a certain chemistry, you know, and, and I believe that that's an important part of your story because, you know, you call it entrepreneurship. I don't know what they called it back then. I doubt it if they called it that. But did you always know that you and Michelle was going to have that, you know, business chemistry? I mean, because I think that's like a, a true blessing. Well, the interesting part about that is we started as business partners first. I was uh, looking to start this uh, program for the kids in the community, and there was a grant, uh, a Pew Foundation grant, uh, that was going to be given out. You could get $1,500, but I knew I needed $3,000 in order to run the program during the summer. So I asked some of my buddies, and uh, they they were doing other things, didn't want to do it, and uh, Michelle and I had uh, worked on a program together uh, called Love of Learning at Davidson, and she just kind of popped up and said, well, I'll do it with you. And I looked at her like, oh, you will. I didn't even ask her, but she she volunteered and said that she would apply for the grant also. And so that's how we first started working together is then that program. And um, so we became business partners first. And you know, we go we go at it a little bit. So we'll we uh, have what we call constructive criticism of each other. And we're probably the um, the ones who can uh, criticize each other the most and get each, get something out of us because we're kind of straightforward, but we know it's all in good love and good fun, uh, and it's about the business. And so, you know, we we don't uh, hold back on each other when we're actually uh, offering some criticisms. <laughs> so. Awesome, awesome, man. Well, well, kudos to you guys because I know 
feedback is, is hard. And the fact that you guys can get past that, because that's an important part. But let's talk about it a little later. Mm-hmm. Tell me this, you know, take us back into before we go into the book, because I, I kind of want to talk a little bit about the book. And Tamika's going to drop in the chat where people can go purchase the book. But while she's looking it up, I, I kind of want to get the backdrop of why you decided to write this book, right? I mean, you can talk to people about starting a business, but you decide to write a book about it. What inspired you to even just write it down? Well, I had participated as a mentor and coach in uh, several pitch competitions for students at Davidson. And then I also went to several uh, meetings uh, with the uh, Black Wall Street out of Durham. And I saw folks with great ideas and had the potential, but they worked really hard on their ideas and what they were trying to do, but they didn't put it all together. So some would have a great idea, but then someone over here would have a great uh, pitch or other people would have great relationships. So I said, what if we put a book together that made it very simple and straightforward on how do you um, prepare for um, pitching? I mean, prepare your business idea, uh, pitching that business idea, and then get funded. And then I was doing some research there, and I found that I know when I was a banker, my background is being a banker. When people brought in uh, business plans, they bring in 50, 60-page business plans, and I really wasn't interested in, in reading the plans. I was just wanting to know, can you pay us back um, and, do, and do you have a viable business? And you could have told me that in one page or a few sentences. And so I started doing the research and there was something called, called the lean business model. And the lean business model has a canvas where you identify some key points in order to off this one page where you can present your business idea. The first thing you do is you identify your problem. So I tell people, Uh, If you have an idea about a business, first of all, find a problem. And if you can find that problem and find three solutions to the problem, then you might have a potential for a business. But then you have to go ask some people, uh, do they have that problem? And then are they willing to pay to have the problem solved? And if you can find enough people who have a problem are willing to pay to have that problem solved, then you have an opportunity to start going down the road to doing the activity to get into the business and make it a viable business there. So that's, you can do all that on one page and you can present that to an investor, customer, family, friends, and launch that business. You know, thanks for sharing that. You know, I, I like the way you describe it because I know um, what you say to be true is that one of my favorite things when it comes to business, you know, I go to the business school on occasion and I do some coaching. Um, these are really MBAs, so they, they're different, right? They're kind of accustomed to corporate. They're not really accustomed to the hustle and flow. And, you know, my joke is when I graduate, I knew how to do all this fancy stuff, but I didn't know how to rent a billboard, right? I'm like, <laughs> what's the magic of renting a billboard? It was simple stuff, right? But you just missed it because corporate is different from entrepreneurship. But, um, you know, the things that you describe is, is so true because, you know, I, I often say whenever I talk to an entrepreneur, it's, I call it the ugly baby effect, right? They in love with their business, they in love with their idea, and automatically they think it's going to make money. Automatically, like, what? You don't get it? You don't understand? It's awesome, right? And you'd be like, yeah, I don't know how to tell you about your baby. So I learned just to say nothing. I mind my business, right? But I like the fact that you actually broke it down into phases, the the prep, the pitch, and the funding. And I got it organized this way, but we don't have to be that structured, right? But I would like to really just kind of, you know, as people begin to contemplate, you know, as a black podcaster, we have a unique opportunity to make recommendations. 
for people we know and we believe in to people who trust us. Why? Because it's not somebody else. And I'm telling y'all, if you're that person that's thinking about it and be like, hey, I would like a simple, structured way to vet my idea, firm it up and make it stronger, then you're in the right place. So, Lindsay, do you mind? Let's let's step through the prep, the pitch, and the funding. And I like that you broke it down that way. And we could even talk about the plan first. But why did you choose to break it down in this way, the prep, the pitch, and the funding? And if you don't mind just going into a little bit what the prep means, the preparation. So the preparation is just going through life and um, what – what one of my quotes is an entrepreneur sees opportunity in their in their mind long before others see opportunity with their eyes. And so if you go through life curious and you go through life looking for opportunities and listening and, and, and listening to what people have and listen to their problems and then even looking at your own problems. And then if you can find some valuable, some viable solutions to those problems, then can you put a business around that? And so a couple of businesses that I'm in right now, I had no idea that I would be in those when I was in college. And so one of the businesses that I run is um, taxes. So what I found out is everybody needs their taxes done. You know, there's a, a deadline for having those taxes done. And now all I had to do as far as that taxes is get in the middle of the transaction. So how many of those people could come to me to get their taxes done? And so where I set myself apart with the taxes is I provide a, neat, a unique opportunity where I was looking for people who are interested in business and the lowering and lowering their taxable or through higher tax deductions. And so I just built upon that and started going because I knew people had a problem with taxes. Most people don't like paying their taxes. Uh, we have to pay them, but let's pay only our fair share and not one dollar more. And so most of the, the businesses that have been really successful have found uh, opportunities in a, a need or a problem that people have had, and they are willing to pay whatever amount there is for it in order to have that problem solved. And if you can build a business around that, I think that's very important. So look for the problems first and then see how many people have that problem and then ask are those people willing to pay to have that problem solved? And then is there a variable uh, profit within having that problem solved? And is your market big enough? You know, I, I love that preparation because, you know, the way you describe it, I'm thinking, man, I really needed this 15 years ago when I started my first business. I was frustrated with corporate America. I was like, deuces, I'm tired of y'all. I'm frustrated. And I just went and did something. I said, I'm going to do web design. Guess what? <laughs> I learned that I hated web design, right? So not only did I discover I hated web design, but I had this really cool idea. I was like, hey, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take all of the fancy technology with IBM and large corporations have access to, but I'm going to make it available to the everyday small business and nonprofit. And check this out. I'm not going to charge them too much money. I'm going to make it affordable so that anybody who want to leverage efficiencies and benefits, you know, I was in love with the idea, right? Sure. So this is what I learned. I learned nonprofits... A lot of times they may not have money, or if they do, they don't want to give it to you. Also learn a concept called Kool-Aid money, champagne taste. Now, I didn't do much preparation on that idea. So when I really, really got frustrated, I began to realize that I needed to charge about 10 to 20K per website 
in order to make the profit so that I wouldn't get down to $2 an hour based on all the other stuff that was going on. But I can appreciate what you described with the preparation because I just jumped into it and didn't do any preparation. I was just like, uh, let me do something. So I can really appreciate the preparation. I didn't appreciate it back then, but I definitely appreciate it right now. Next up, you kind of have the pitch, right? Tell us, you know, what is the pitch and why is the pitch so important? So the pitch is important because it structures your presentation and it also structures who you are making that presentation to. So a lot of people ask, well, who, how do I prepare for my presentation and who am I pitching to? So you have the pitch is going to be, first of all, to your prospects or potential customers. Are you interviewing? Do you know who those potential prospects and customers are? And are you asking in focus groups and market uh, research for those folks? So that's one um, pitch. And then you have the investors, the, the lenders, or even your maybe your spouse or family members to help you uh, raise some monies. Now, the, the key here is, are what do you have in order to help someone move the money out of their savings account or their investment account and to move it into your business for, for them to get a what we call a better return on an investment? Because if you can't convince me to give you my money that's already making interest or in another uh, investment account to give it to you to be a better place, then I'm not going to invest in your company or give you um, any money unless I'm a family or a friend and I just want to kind of help you out. But that's not where the big dollars are. The big dollars are, are in, uh, in money that is looking for where it's best treated is what I tell people. There's plenty of money out here. There's no shortage of money in this world. And it will go to where people are providing the best opportunities for it to grow and to make money. Because um, investors, what we do as investors is we don't really need or our biggest thing is not a return of our money. For an investor, it's a return on our money. So we're, if we lose some dollars or we lose some of these dollars, it's not going to affect our lifestyle. We're looking for a return on the money rather than a return of the money. When you're first talking to family, friends, they might be looking for a return of their money. Can you at least give me my money back at some point in time? But when you start talking to investors, they're looking for you to sell them the dream, meaning how can you get them excited about this vision, this opportunity, or the market that you're getting ready to serve and to scale and to get them to move that money out of their other accounts or their other investments and move it over to you. Awesome. Awesome. You know, I, I like the way you break that down. You say a return on our money. I, I like that. Right. You know, I don't know for me, I've always been a little nervous about investors. Right. Because, you know, you already got the stress of running the business, but you got the stress of making enough money to pay back the investors. I don't know. That's just stressful for me. But I think for certain people, it makes sense. Right. I mean, you have any thoughts on different peoples and different businesses when it comes to, you know, because, you know, let's talk about the funding. Right. You know, and maybe uh, let me, I'm going to pivot for a second and talking about the funding. Right. What are the different types of funding? Right. Because for me, when I hear, you know, investors, I'm like, I'm not ready. I remember last year people like, hey, Calvin, you want money? I'm like, I'm not ready. I'm not ready because I really wasn't ready. I mean, I was just, you know, experimenting. Right. But, you know, two years later, I was like, OK. Now I'm ready because, you know, I kind of got things where I want it to be. But what are your thoughts on the different types of funding and, you know, the pros and cons? Well, I think the, the first funding you should have and the best funding you can have is your own money. Because if you haven't put your own money in, you don't really believe in it. Uh, so first of all, you use your own money. That could be from your own savings, from some of your own earnings. 
you might have a you know good enough credit in order to borrow some money. You might even take some money out of your retirement plan or those kind of things. If you believe in it enough to put some of your own money in it, that's going to show other people and investors that you have some skin in the game and you have something to lose. Because if you don't have any money in it, you have nothing to lose yourself. Um, then you look for family and friends, you know, family and friends who believe in you, first of all, and then also believe in your idea will give you some seed monies in order to just kind of get started to get the ball rolling there. Another thing I tell people to do is make sure you are very responsible with your money. We talk, a lot of people talk about the burn rate of cash. You're just burning through cash on a month to month basis in order to see if something works out. Well, a small um, starting out entrepreneur, I, I want you to be very careful and very capital efficient. So don't go out and buy, get the nicest office and get the nicest cars and all that. You know, get you some used furniture, go into a, um, a, a building or a rent an office that's safe, you know, just make sure it's safe. It doesn't have to be in the best in the best area, but make sure it's safe. And that gets you started. That gives you some room to make some mistakes and get started. And then once your cash is flowing in the bank, then you can start upgrading. But a lot of people want to look the part before they're able to uh, have the cash flowing because that's the key to a business is have that cash flowing. And then once you're able to build some some product and some market and get some uh, get some traction there, then you can invite some investors in. But I would take the minimal amount of money possible to keep you going. Don't take a lot of money at first, because what that's going to do is that's going to cause a lot of pressure on you. And that's going to be some outside forces that may be asking you to do things or pivot in ways that you don't want to pivot. So using those dollars that are close to home, smaller dollars, and then just really scrapping and hustling uh, can make a difference in your business in the early stages. You know, I, I like the way you describe that because, you know, it makes me think about, you know, that next question of, you know, what are funders looking for? You know, and I think you've alluded to it. I mean, are these the type of things that funders, I mean, when people are getting ready to give you money, are they looking for if you drive in a fancy car? Are they looking for if you got the fancy office? I mean, what are your thoughts on what funders are looking for before they give you money? Uh, sure. The funders are looking at everything. First of all, like I said, they're asking you if you put your monies in uh, and then they're asking uh, what sales do you have? Do you have any sales or any revenue? Does this business show some viability here? And then what have you already um, given out equity or to other investors? And then they're asking you based on my investment, how much are you giving me of that company? So you'll see this on Shark Tank all the time. They'll often say, you know, I want $100,000 for 10% of my company. So a quick calculation would say that's a million dollar valuation. And then they'll always argue about what the valuation is of the company. And so you want to look at, you know, different types of investors. You know, like I said, those family and friends are going to be your first investors and yourself. And then you might have angel investors. These are people who have money. That's maybe an individual or so, and they're willing to uh, put some money in your and in your company for a percentage or a return on your investment at a, at a period of time, they're going to be a little nicer and not as due diligence uh, and you know, digging into the company, have as much control and say so as a venture capitalist. Venture capitalists are people who pool their dollars together from other folks. And those folks are looking for a big return on their investment. And they're not interested in you running that business forever. A venture capitalist is interested in you uh, getting this business to scale in order to sell it to a bigger company or to go public with it so they can get 5, 10, 20x return on their money. And then they want to move on to the other. 
So they are going to be more controlling on that venture capital side. Angel investors are going to be a little bit nicer. Uh, and it may be one person you're dealing with. Family and friends, they just looking to help you out and make sure you get some return their money back first and hopefully you can get a return on it. And then yourself, you're just all in it. Yeah, you know, um, thanks for talking about that. You know, it, it reminds me of a recent conversation I had on funding. Um, um, someone said, hey, you know, I want to speak on the show in reference to business credit. I'm like, what's business credit? So I made some phone calls. I called my aunt. I'm like, you've been doing this for a while. What's business credit? She's like, I don't know. I don't know what that word. And it turns out, you know how sometimes they give things new names, right? And, and I'm pretty sure you're familiar with it. But the more we dug into it, we were like, oh, she's like, oh, I know what it is because they were calling it something different. It was a phrase that was, you know how something they say nothing new under the sun? Sure. So the way she described it, and I like this description, she says, you know, business credit, if you're not careful, can be like a payday loan for your business. I said, ooh. <laughs> I said, how so? She says, well, with certain investments you take on your business, you can, you know, because remember, this is about, you know, funding your dream, right? Sure. That means this is your passion, your love, your baby. You love it. But what happens is if you take too much money and like a payday loan on your company, you can accidentally lose that company to the people who loan you money. Or my favorite story is become an employee of your own company because you gave away too much share. I mean, have you do you typically, you know, recommend against that? I like what you said. Only take what you need. So I think that's what you're alluding to, because people may not realize what only take what you need. I mean, have you um, seen any scary stories of that or typically people, you know, err on the side of caution? Well, uh, yes, I, I always say maintain control of your company in all ways, shapes, fashion or form. And if you don't grow as fast and you can maintain that control, making sure that even when you have people on your board, if you go public and you go have people on your board of directors, you would have noticed that most of the billionaires or the super ultra wealthy, they have family on their boards and uh, in those executive positions such that they don't get voted out or, or get fired from their own company. Because once you go public or you start taking on too much money, then that becomes a way for other people to have control. And this is even with uh, nonprofit organizations. You know, that's, those are businesses too. I always tell nonprofit people who want to start a nonprofit organization is make sure that when you start that nonprofit organization, that you keep your board very closely held to family and very close uh, people that you know, because you could be voted out of your own organization and it could be changed over by the leadership and the um, governing structure or the board. So make sure that you are very careful about who you bring on, who you take money from, and who is in your on your board. You know, I love that. You reminded me recently when you said nonprofit of the, the, the lady who founded uh, Black Girls Code. That happened to her. And sure. I still don't know what her latest story is. I know she was in the press so heavily because she founded the company and the board was like, deuces, we, we done. And I don't know what happened. Mm -hmm. But, you know, um, you know, hopefully she worked that out. But, you know, um, thanks for sharing that. We, we, let's um, wrap up and maybe get opportunity for a couple questions. Tell us about, you know, how you can be contacted. You know, and I really would like to know about, you know, you do consulting. You kind of you have the book. You know, tell us, you know, how you can be contacted and what does an engagement look like? Do they contact you via your website? Do you do consultation? Tell us about some of the services you offer. So a lot of my services are, uh, I do some coaching with, with clients and prospective folks. 
And we usually offer a complimentary discovery session where people can go on my website, collins.com. And I think they'll put it in the chat uh, or you can go to our uh, book website and we will go through just a discovery session. I'll ask some questions, uh, what you're trying to do, what your goals are. And I'm very honest with folks. I want to say, see if there's a good opportunity for us to work together because I only work with folks I like working with too. So let's make sure that we're both wanting and willing to work together because I like a good quality life and I don't like a whole lot of uh, drama. So if if I take you on as a client, we we both are in it together and I always give people the opportunity. So if it's not working, you can always fire me at any time and we can always, you know, go our separate ways. But we do that discovery session to find out how, uh, what your needs are and if I can help you. And then we will let, the client determine what our fee structure is and how we work together. And so it's, it's very uh, good the way that we do it. Uh, we go through a training phase. We train them on, you know, what you need to know. We go through a teaching phase and teaching them how to uh, do this thing on their own. And then we transition to them actually doing the work or going through the opportunity that they have or the business. And then they get to the point where they're when it's trusting phase, they're actually doing the work and we're just sitting back watching them be successful uh, every now and then coaching them along the way. So that's our four part process that we use in our coaching model. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. I love it. And Tamika dropped in the chat, how you guys can be contacted. You know, I always tell people, you know, here at Southern Soul, you know, if people like you, they're going to reach out to you. They're going to hire you. Right. Because it's not about sale. It's about this. The reason why I always have people like uh, Lindsay on the show is because one of my hopes, right, for the black community, I'm calling it Community 2.0, is that anyone who's ever worked a corporate job or a nine to five has that opportunity to run their own business. Why? Because it's something about the self-sufficiency. It's something about the ability to run a business and like Lindsay say, hey, if if I don't want to work with you, I don't have to, right? Right. right. And and just so you know, if he refers you to another person, that's called he just fired you as a customer because I used to fire people all the time. They were just too difficult. This one lady printed out her whole website. It was 100 pages and she going through it and brought her boyfriend who was a lawyer talking about, can you watch it? I'm like, man, come on. So I referred her <laughs> to another developer. Right. But it's it's a certain type of freedom. But I wish that for everyone. So, Lindsay, thank you for being here. Um, feel free um drop in the chat um, if you have any questions for Lindsay. He's going to be here for a little while. Lindsay, feel free to hang tight um, with us. And if you guys got chat for Lindsay, go ahead and drop him in the chat and maybe he'll um, read the chat and respond, you know, as we begin the transition. But um, let's see if we got one question, because sometimes people are shy. Let's see if we got any dying questions. Does anybody have any question they definitely want to ask Lindsay now? If not, you can feel free to type it in the chat. I'm going to give them 10 seconds to see what the shyness is. Ah, ah, Teresa just giving you a shout out. She was like, yeah, he's been doing this since 2000. Truly a blessing. I love it. Yeah, Teresa awesome. has been a, a great client. She started out and has been a trooper and has done very well and successful over these many years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I love that. And the business you do consult on. And... Okay, so I'm I'm gonna let those questions pop up in chat. So if you guys got a question for uh, Lindsay, feel free to pop it in the chat, and he'll respond accordingly. What I'm gonna do is transition to our next segment. You know, as we begin to transition to our next segment, I want to kind of give you guys what to expect. You know, um, coming up next week, we're gonna be doing the last show for Southern Soul for this season. 
before we began to plan and begin to structure our business. And establishing Southern Soul, we had a unique opportunity to do things differently. And literally, COVID hit. We were having fun. My pops would say, hey, you know, he was bombed out because, you know, he wanted people to force him to retire. His company was now being traded publicly. And they were trying to inch him toward retirement. He bombed out. I'm like, pops, you can't keep telling people you've been working for 45 years. They're going to try to, you know, make you retire, right? But he's like, well, you know, I still got what they call that reading comprehension. I can't believe they're trying to get me to retire. I'm like, well, pops. I know you bummed out, but let's log on to play some music. And that's how we started. Next thing you know, someone said, well, you know, that's a good podcast. I'm like, podcast? I'll be that, you know. Next thing you know, two years later, we're still growing strong. So now that we have you guys here, what we're going to do is pivot and begin to figure out how do we establish this as a formal entity. And what I'm going to be doing is leveraging some of the pearls of wisdom that Lindsay's dropped on, but also some of the ones that are coming from um, Joy. But that's not only. Next week, we're going to have the last show of the season and tell you what we got lined up. We have one speaker who is, we did a part one where we went into a coffee shop built from the grounds up. You guys may remember BU Cafe. Well, we're going to pivot and we're going to get into coffee shop again, but through a franchise perspective. We're going to be bringing in a person that not only works in corporate, but also runs their own franchise of PJ's Coffee to tell us what it's like to grow their career and be a franchisee. In addition, for our second segment, we're going to step into the author who wrote the book, you know, Grant Writing for Dummies and Fundraising Phrases and many, many other books. And she's going to tell us not only how she's been writing grants for so long, but how she has pivoted and built a business on how to coach other people who write grants. She's very clear. She says, I don't write grants anymore. But what I do is I coach people and now I got more demand of people coming to me asking for me to teach the teachers. And this lady is And she'll be honest. She's like, I'm 70 plus years old and I'm doing my thing. And I guarantee you, if you want to hear a testimony, a story and a story and experience of success, come back next week. But before we get there, I have the opportunity to interview Mrs. Joy Webb. What's up, girl? How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. You know, I remember when I first ran into you at the conference, I'm just kind of talking. I'm like, hey, what's up, Joy? How you doing? And then I got on the Internet. I started looking. I'm like, wait a minute. Joy kind of a big deal. She important. She raising millions of dollars over here. And then all of a sudden I got nervous. I'm like, wait a minute. Hey, Joy, how you doing? You want to be on the show? She's like, mm, you can say all that. When, you know, I, I felt like I, I was so embarrassed, y'all. But you know what? She is here. And, you know, once again, a connection through the family. But I appreciate Lindsay and Michelle for doing not only what they do, but they are true connectors. These people be like, hey, we just won't see black people survive. We won't see black people thrive. And that's how we met Joy. And Joy, I happen to know that you are a connector too. But tell the audience a little bit about yourself, your background. We would love to hear your origin story, who you are, and how you got into fundraising. So... I'll start by saying I don't consider myself a fundraiser. I consider myself a friend raiser. Oh. Um, and I'll tell you why. So I am born and raised in 
Decatur, Georgia, by way of Atlanta, all the things, you know, so, so many people say it's not Atlanta, but anyway, Metropolitan Atlanta, um, raised by two educators who were always, always doing work in community um, because they worked with Black students and they worked in Black communities and they were the the teacher and the counselor that were um, the go-tos. So that was just my my way of life. Went to Florida A&M University, the best university ever. Um, And so I was always, I was raised by givers. I had an opportunity. I worked in corporate. So I'm a graphic design major by, by trade. So I'm an artist. So I'm sensitive. <laughs> about I my love stuff. it about my stuff. Uh, <laughs> but um, I also knew that I was a analytical designer. So, um, but I did it. I worked in corporate, worked for, you know, Fortune 5, worked for Delta Airlines, loved it, flew for free, all that good stuff. Um, but I started a giving circle about 15 years ago. I always volunteered gave back where I could, had an opportunity to, to learn about Giving Circles through, once again, Connections. Lindsay and Michelle um, are part of a network that I am also a part of, the Community Investment Network. But I was volunteering for Atlanta Public Schools, met a young man who also was um, coming in for a party, a birthday party for one of the volunteer tiers. Um, he came down from North Carolina. And we were talking about what we do. And clearly he was there at a volunteer event. So I guess he had to like puff out his chest and say what he did. So he talked about giving circles and I had never heard about giving circles, but he shared, you know, he was working with black people, giving their time, their talent, their treasure to communities to be the change that they wanted to see. And I thought, Hmm, I got friends. I could do that. So the Leo in me was like cocky and was like, I can do this. So I had the opportunity to meet um, Daryl Lester, who was the founder of Community Investment Network, who shared with me um, and introduced me to great leaders like Lindsay and Michelle and some other leaders um, doing the work in their communities all throughout the United States. And I then drank all that Kool-Aid. It was delicious. Brought it back to Atlanta, Georgia, told my friends and family and started the Circle of Joy, which is a giving circle based in Atlanta that is... um, giving of time, talent, and treasure. We give to nonprofits that partner, um, we partner with nonprofits that give to youth in Atlanta, um, Black youth in particularly. So that was 15 years ago. And, you know, I kept working. That was my passion. That was my fun. That was my, you know, give back. But I really had a desire to do it. I really wanted to work in philanthropy. I actually remember a conversation talking to uh, Daryl and Dion Lester many, many years ago saying, I want to work in philanthropy, but I don't want to be a fundraiser because I think that fundraising means I got to like kill for my food and I like to eat and I want to eat when I want to eat. So I decided that I would just continue to work and continue to work. And um, so I did that until um, it just, the desire burned so much in me. Um, and I was transitioning out of Delta Airlines and I had an opportunity to work with Community Investment Network, um, where I had also been a board member. Clearly I had started a giving circle. So I had worked with community. I had had an opportunity to make connections. I too feel like I'm a connector, um, and had an opportunity to do the work. And so I was able to work in the program management, program development role in Community Investment Network and work with other giving circles throughout the United States, which was amazing. 
Um, and from there, it just grew like passion. The fire grew and continued to grow, um, which led me to work with other nonprofits, actually going into where I am today as a nonprofit um, consultant. Um, as I like to say, somebody told me the other day I was a philanthropic advisor or influencer. Um, I've had a lot of opportunity. At one point, people thought, I remember, and I think as Lindsay and Michelle are both in giving circles, when I started the giving circle many, many years ago, it was uh, hard for me to give money away. People were like, what's the catch? You you cannot just be giving me money. You're not asking for nothing. You just want to give me money. And literally, that's what I wanted to do because I knew that they were doing the hard work and the hard work. And so now, 15 years later, people are like, oh, you joy? You got money? And I'm like, no, nah, I ain't got no money. But it's definitely a different experience, but it is really my passion. I am so happy I was able to connect my passion and my purpose. Awesome. Awesome. You know, I, I love that. You know, as I was chatting earlier about my desire is everyone to experience what you have experienced, right? Because you, you're working, right? You, you, I call it Proud Mary. Left, you know, left a good job in the city working for the man every night and day. We all know that, right? But I never lost one minute of sleep because I was thinking about the way things might have been. But I love the fact that you were able to find that, right? But check this out. Let's step back for a second. Many of our listeners may be new to philanthropic work. I heard there ain't even black folks in philanthropic work when it really boils down to it. But kind of just hip us, what in the world is a giving circle? What is collective giving? Okay, so first of all, let me start off by saying all Black folks, Black and Brown folks are philanthropists. Philanthropy is based on the love of humankind. And we have loved folks when they didn't love us. Mm -hmm. We have given when it wasn't given to us. And if you actually think about that, we've been doing this. We do this with church. We do this with community every day. So you may not call yourself a philanthropist, but please believe you are. Do not assume and do not take heed to the narrative that it is a rich white man, because it's not. Um, but a giving circle is a group of people that are intentional, that are strategic, and collectively give their time, their talent, and their treasure, and other T's, touches, ties, social ties, all those things. You can I could go on and on. They keep adding T's every year. Um, but um, they give it collectively to be the change that they want to see. They work with community. Um, I oftentimes don't say grant, I say partner, because once again, I know that the people that are doing the work are doing the work. We use a lot of trust-based philanthropy um, in our giving circles in the Community Investment Network because we trust and we know that the people that are doing the work are doing the work. We don't have, they don't have to prove it to us. They don't have to, you know, give their child's first blood. They don't have to give us 45 pages, which is what is traditional philanthropy. So a giving circle actually is almost a disruptor of philanthropy and just gets down to the core of the why and lets people actually get the funds. Um, oftentimes it's unrestricted funds. So a lot of times in philanthropy, you will see people getting funds and it's like, hey, you got to use this for your program. And if your program is after school care, it's got to be for after school care. Well, unfortunately, that's great. But what if you don't have enough money to keep the lights on? you might need to keep the lights on to actually do the after-school care. So with the unrestricted funds that the Giving Circle is able to do, we're able to fill in that gap and fill in that niche. And then also, it's not always about the money. Sometimes you, you need more. You need time. You need talent. And so we're able to actually be connected, be sticky with the organization so that we are partners true indeed walking hand in hand. Awesome. You know, I, I love that statement, non-restricted funds, because it's very true. 
um, restricted funds, I like the way you describe it. You're like, hey, not only do you have to only spend the money a certain way, but then they want reports at the end of the year, right? And it's just, it's it's heavy, but I love it because it's beautiful. And it really makes me think, OMG, this circle giving, right, is really, really for the community. It has to be for the community because we have so many things going on. And I like what you say. You say, what do you call it? It's trust-based philanthropy. What did you call it? Trust-based philanthropy. Um, and oftentimes that. we say in Community Investment Network, um, I believe many, many years ago, I heard Daryl Lester say, community knows what community needs. And that is a true statement. When I when we go and we listen to community, they're going to tell you what you need. You know what you need. If you need to pay your lights, you know that. You know that you need food in the refrigerator and you know that you need your mortgage paid. Whatever that is, you're not going to not know what you need. So if you listen to them, then you can just provide those services. You can figure out how you all can work together to make sure that they thrive and not just survive. And also another thing about the giving circle is it allows people of color in particular, because that's my passion, to be on the um, supply side of philanthropy as opposed to the demand side of philanthropy. Oftentimes the media will put us in a case where it's like, oh, poor little black family, oh, homeless black children or Latinx or whatever. But we are showing up in a way that we are saying, here's the dollars. We have provided that. We are showing up saying we're going to be there for service. We're going to be there to work with you um, and unapologetically at that for our community. I love it. I love it. You know, I, I just love it because, you know, as I think about, you know, my mind can't help but wonder, right, about the naysayers, wonder about, the, you know, the, all of the bondage, the things that people second guess. But I love not only, you know, the trust-based philanthropy, but I love it through the perspective where it's a strong belief in doing the right thing. And it's just, it, it's just a whole nother level. But let's talk about this. You know, sometimes people can be accustomed to, like, the tides and the offering and the giving. I like the way you describe it. Black folks, we do love people, right? So we have that philanthropic. However, what are some of the social, financial, fiscal benefits of this community, of this collective giving, right? Because, you know, sometimes people want to know, like, okay, if I do participate in collective giving or circle giving, then... I don't want to say the selfish intent, but, you know, what's in it for me? Like, you know, I want to help people, but um, are, there, are there any other traditional benefits or what are the core benefits of circle and collective giving for the giver? So I will tell you something that's really interesting. My mother is in my giving circle. I have an intergenerational giving circle. I have a teacher from my 11th grade high school in my giving circle. I don't break tides, clearly. Um, <laughs> her friends from fifth and sixth grade. I um one of the things that they have told me is, and I never thought about it, but I, we all have probably worked in corporate one time or another. And they oftentimes say, hey, you got to give a little bit of your check to the United Way. 2%, 1%, you can decide, but you still got to do it. Well, you don't know where that money's going. It's just going to United Way. And this is almost like instant gratification. We know we decide where our money's going. We're intentional about giving our money. We're strategic about partnering with the organizations. And we also don't have to have those reports because we're working hand in hand with them. So it is really about you being engaged with community. It's lets you listening to the pulse of your community. Um, it's let you, it's letting you be involved in community. It's letting you be involved with an organization that is doing the work that you know is doing right by your community. 
And it's not making you, you know, reinvent the wheel. You don't have to do it all by yourself. It's the collective and the power of people is amazing, right? So what I can do as an individual is great, but what I can do with the collective is just amazing and powerful and life-changing and legacy building and all of that stuff. It's teaching, people are looking at us, uh, people are saying, hey, you know, what is that happening? And I oftentimes say it's the power of the collective because we are so much better together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I appreciate that. And, you know, one of my favorite illustrations is, you know, you get 10 people together and they give away $2,000 and you're like, okay, that's $2,000. And, you know, that kind of helped. But what's the different impact of that group giving $20,000, right? Or each person giving $10,000 and what's the impact on that thing you care about of giving twenty? I mean, $100,000? That's a whole different type of impact, you know, and local impact where you can see it. Um, you know, I think you're definitely an unapologetic person, and I appreciate that about you. And, you know, so I can, I'm can. i curious about your experience as a black woman, right? As you begin to get into, um, you know, collective giving, um, you know, giving circle, circle giving, you know, how has your experience as a black woman, you know, informed your approach, you know, in philanthropy? Um, I think you guys work with young girls in one of your giving circles, like to, what is your perspective as a black woman? Um, have you focused on women causes? I'm just kind of curious about, you know, your DNA when it comes to this approach. So um, ironically, I, my circle, which started 15 years as a get, is focused on youth in Atlanta, Georgia. What I have learned and what I have grown into is, you know, what is my passion? Um, because we have given, um, because my circle is named the Circle of Joy, which my members chose it wasn't me they said hey if you want to have somebody always show up name it after them that's what i hear now um but the reality is it worked hand in hand and it was my passion i've had the opportunity to work with others um and so i have the initiatives that i have taken on from my lived experiences is helping black women and black girls um i knew that i i, I liked black women i'm a black woman right but you know in black girls i was a black girl but I've had the opportunity to work with an organization called Southern Black Girls and Women's Consortium, which is an organization that was founded by four Black women EDs throughout the South that wanted to really be strategic in thinking about how they fund Black women-led organizations helping Black girls. And it was amazing because what they did was they got Black women leaders to help be the voice and to help be core movement partners. What that means is they knew that we were working in community. So let's see what's happening. Um, And as a core movement partner, the Circle of Joy was able to listen to what the needs of of the girls were throughout the 12 states um, from Virginia all the way to Florida. They just added Texas this year. But um, those 12 states listening to girls from all different demographics. So from a, I went to a detention center all the way to the honors programs at Clark Atlanta University, listening to all girls, all black girls and their needs, listening to their voices, seeing what their needs were. Um, and not just using my lived experiences, because I have my lived experiences, which definitely, you know, help me decide how I do and how I give, but being able to take those biases and put them to the side and literally listening to all those girls allowed me 
to understand this is really a passion of mine um, and, and really sparked some flames to which I was also able to advise how they could give from a trust-based philanthropy perspective, as opposed to the traditional nonprofit perspective of application, RFP, all the things that are the buzzwords for nonprofits. And because I hadn't come from a nonprofit world, I didn't go get a degree in nonprofit. Clearly I'm an artist. So, you know, I did stuff differently. Um, I was able to share that they adopted that where their applications um, were very trust-based philanthropy based in the impact, based in the statements, based in the stories, um, understanding that most of smaller grassroots nonprofits are lean. So they don't have time to be writing and doing all of these evaluations and all this stuff. They just got to go and help the girls. Um, with that, we were able to give $2.2 million last year to Black wow. organizations, 71 Black organizations throughout the South. And then an intentional aspect of that was, hey, we gave to these Black women-led organizations that help Black girls in the South intentionally help them find their voices. But hey, what individual perspective? So we have a challenge called the Black Girl Joy Challenge, which works because it's my name. Um, but um, it literally asks girls to share what their joy is. And I can't tell you what your joy is, nor can you tell me what mine is, but we can share what it, you can tell me what it is. I can't put any kind of limitations on it because it's your joy. And so we have girls sharing that, hey, I just really want my mom to be able to see her sister because she hasn't seen her in COVID and family means a lot to me. And so if I could help that, if I could make that happen, that'd be great. Or maybe I'm a nurse. I just graduated from college. I was in you know, the COVID wars and I'm just tired. I need to go to the beach. That is, that would bring them joy. We were able to fund individually girls, over 250 girls. I think it's a, I think we're at 275 this year, $550 for individual grants for them to actually experience that joy. Um, because we want them to understand that we see them and that they are enough. And so that has been amazing to me to be able to take my learnings from the Circle of Joy and the Community Investment Network, bring that into a, a national network of Black girls and Black women, and some other organizations that I'm working with um, from a national perspective to just share that this works. This collective giving model, it really does work. When you listen to the people and you allow them to have the power, it's, change is, is necessary. Change will happen. Awesome. As, awesome. I, as you hear, I can talk about this all day. <laughs> awesome. I, I I love the passion and I love it. Now I see why you say Joy ain't got no money. She just gave away $2 million. So, all right. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. You know, so I, no, don't ask Joy for no money. Okay. So, so Joy, tell me this. Um, I was thinking about the impact on society, but now I get it, right? It's so cool. If I was using my own words, I'm like, wow. This approach even allows like a group of people who, and I like what you said, you have a, a multi-generational um, uh, um, giving circle that include teachers, you know, family members. It's, it's beautiful. But then when you talk about it, I was so thinking about the money and all that stuff, but I never thought about the enrichment. I never thought about the connection to community, the fulfillment you get, right? Where you give to United Way, you don't know, you know, your money going somewhere down there, Right. But you get to connect your money directly mm -hmm. to that smile, that face, that experience that you know is needed. Mm 
that, you know, and they don't have to jump through a bunch of loopholes to get there. And that gratification by itself is just simply beautiful. So as we get close to wrap up, I got a few more questions, but I want to kind of think about, you know, we, we talked about the what, but now I want to kind of talk about the how. And lastly, I want to talk about, you know, you and what type of services you offer, right? You know, so, you know, is it easier or be desired to join a giving circle or create one? What are your thoughts and recommendations for the audience? You got people listening, they're hearing this for the first time. They're excited. I can see from the chat. You know, do you join a giving circle? Do you create one? And maybe what are some of the, you know, national giving circles out there? You know, I mean, how do we get involved in such, you know, an activity? So I would say start where you are. Um, but you can't, I mean, people have lots of things. I like to say that this is part of your philanthropic profile. This is not all. We got many things. You give to your church, you give to your sorority, your fraternity, the Boys and Girls Club. You, you might have a list of people that you give to. So to start a giving circle may not be in your DNA right now. And there are several giving circles out there. There is a um, global network called um, Philanthropy Together and Grapevine. Grapevine um, is a virtual platform and both of those um, organizations came together, I believe early last year and built a directory. So there's a directory of about 2,500 giving circles out there. Um, and you can look at joining them um, if it's easier for you, or maybe you wanna get a taste of it. You don't wanna just start it on your own. Unless, you know, we have lots of entrepreneurs and they like to do it on their own. Um, but you could go to the global giving, to the giving circle um, directory and find something that has your passion, your purpose, you know, it, it talks about what your values are. And you say, hey, I want to join this, this circle, learn a little bit more about it, get to know that circle, see if they work for you and join it. Or if you want to start it, it doesn't have to be that hard. It can be very, very simple. Get your folks together, get your tribe together, get your crew together. Doesn't have to be a million people. You can start with five, 10, 15, just like-minded individuals who are strategic and intentional and want to give. You all make a decision on how you want to give, how you want to meet. Um, we have, after the pandemic, I've worked with organizations or giving circles before the pandemic. It was like, oh, local, we meet, we have tea, we drink, we have fun. We, we just, you know, kick it. And then we decide where the money goes. But now we have people all over the world. So they can get together virtually. Zoom is a beautiful tool. Um, and so you figure out what you all have and what you all want to do and how you want to change the world. And then you just do it. Um, get your money together. You can decide if you want to put it in a um, in a foundation, be a 501c3. Some people are really advantageous and want to actually start a nonprofit, but you do not have to. You figure out how you want to put your money together and a 501c3 is a um, nonprofit um, legally. A You can have a fiscal agent where you would be a donor advised fund. And that might be something that you connect with one of your local um, community foundations and they, and then find, then start a, a actual donor advised fund where your giving circle can host, hold their money and you won't have the legal legalities behind that. Um, and then you decide what your mission is and your vision is, and that can be done sipping tea or something else, whatever you decide to sip. Um, and then you all decide how you want to give, what your rules of engagement will be, what your agreement will be amongst one another. Um, it can be very, very simple. I'm a creative by nature, like I said. So 
I'm a little bit more organic. I've worked with giving circles that are very much a personalities, all engineers and lawyers. So they're like Robert's rules of order. And this is what we're going to do. What I say is you do what works for you. So that might be joining a giving circle. That could also be, you know, just creating your own or thinking about what you want to do. Somebody just called me earlier and said, hey, for my birthday, I think I want to have a collective giving model. Can you help me start a giving circle? And I was like, sure. Because you know what? I know that there are so many purposes and so many organizations and so many causes that we can work toward being better. Why not, you know, go ahead and do that? I love it. I love it. And I think the question was repeating that organization, but I think Michelle got it. Was it? Michelle? Yeah, Michelle got it. And then Grapevine is a national network. It's online and it's a directory of giving circles. People can start giving circles on there and do it like a virtual giving circle network. Mm -hmm. Um, But it also allows you to see other giving circles. So if you're interested in LGBTQ or you're interested in pro-Black or you're interested in female organizations or you're interested in, you know, whales, whatever that is, you can find that. You can put that subject in. They'll give you topics. They'll give you regions and you can figure out what you want to do from there. And you can always call me or contact me and we can chat some more about it. Awesome. And I think you asked answered my next question, which is how do people contact you and what services you provide? So you got a website um, and I think Tamika dropped that your website in there. Um, tell us about how you can be contacted and what services you provide. So I provide, so my website is joybweb.com. It's very simple, my name. Um, I work with giving circles and I work with nonprofits that want to look at, as I say, it's not really fundraisers, it's friend raising, but the collective giving model on how that can help them with their vision and their mission, bringing community involved, engaging with them in their actual for-profit or their nonprofit um, initiatives that they have. Um, I also, like I said, work with Community Investment Network, which is an African-American and donor of color giving circle network. It's a national network. So you can reach me there or reach, um, and, and we can talk about that. And you can look at other giving circles um, that are donors of color in that network. Um, and then also, um, if you're interested in Southern Black Girls, I work with them as well. If you're interested, and they, it's an interesting, it's an interesting perspective of a collective, but they also work with just Black women and Black women-led organizations and Black women that want to support Black women-led organizations. So, I take my 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 mission and my passion everywhere. So I try to put that to them as well. So we have a collective that actually has where we have the community actually deciding on the 2.2 mil that we gave last year. That is decided on by black women. They read the grants. We want community to know what community is doing and then decide where that money is being funded. It's not funded by the anchors or, you know, three white men sitting in a room saying you get a check and you get a check, but you don't get a check. We have women that are are like-minded working in the world and of the world um, doing the work as well to decide how we're going to fund these Black girls and make sure that they thrive. Awesome, awesome. I love it. And I love the passion. Oh, and I didn't mention the Circle of Joy, but thank you for posting that website. That's another way you can reach me. Um, We're actually giving our grant away this weekend. So we have a grant giving gathering. Um, we are, I will, I will share with you all because it's, you know, it's family now. I feel it's like family. So we're we giving, can still get money or is it too late? 
You can get you can give to the circle of joy where we will give to the collective. Um, we have two grants that we're giving away this weekend on Saturday to two organizations that are black women led helping black girls. We're giving away fifteen thousand dollars to each organization for time, talent and treasure. And I like to put all of that together because it's important, because that's the impact. We are providing that to you. And your time and your talent, as we know, is very important. So we have to put a value to that as well. And we want people to understand that that is the philanthropist. Awesome. Awesome. You know, Joy, as you were speaking, you know, your your excitement is definitely contagious. I can tell from the chat. I mean, people are kind of chatting it up and they, they, they feel the fullness, right? You know, one thing about Southern Soul, we have a national model where we just have people from everywhere. And I often joke, you know, I wore my Wakanda necklace tonight because I'm in the ATL. But I often, you know, people, you know, joke about Atlanta being Wakanda. But this is the way I see it is that we have so much, so many blessings, so many opportunities, right? And as you begin to travel these states, you begin to realize that things are just spread out. It's not that the excellence doesn't exist, but it's so spread out. So it's really hard to find but it's really a true blessing tonight to not only have you share your thoughts, your wisdom, and your passion, but for Lindsay as well. What I want to do now is open up for some questions. So if you got questions for Lindsay or Joy, feel free to type it in the chat. And we're just going to, you know, take two or three questions. And then I'm going to play, uh, I think I got, uh, I think I was feeling like a little old school R&B, maybe a little Beyonce. You know, I got a lot on my mind, y'all. I got to, you know, it's something about Beyonce helped me relax. She helped me come down by... From you know, people at work were tripping, so I got to play that bay to kind of get my mind right. But before we get there, you see, let's see here. Uh, v has a question. Excuse me. Does your org give to NFPs that deal in the medical, no, medicinal space for those affected by um, is it ear, war on drugs? Yes, I, I knew that was something. I said, what is it? Ear on drugs, war on drugs. So Does my organization, give my organization gives to kids, um, gives to organizations that work with kids. The The exciting thing about me and, and my, me being a connector um, like Lindsay and Michelle is that I've had the opportunity to meet lots of different organizations. So um, I sent you a direct message, uh, V. Um, you can email me directly. And if I, and I'm also like, I'm a giver, right? I, I give, I give my time, my talent and my treasure. And I want us all to win. So if there's any way that I can help you, um, if I have any connections um, that are organizations that do do that, I will, I will definitely assist. I love it. I love it. How about a question for the businessman? Let's see. Um, what questions? Cause I know somebody out there, they thinking about that business. They want to get started. Tell us about the ugly, not your ugly baby, but you know, your business about, you know, the thing that you got that you can really launch your business. I, I want to get some questions. While we wait on that question, I got a question from Miss Betty. Um, don't be nervous. Don't be shy. Because, uh-oh, I see Sherry got Welcome back, Sherry. Um, I got a question from Miss Betty. Joy, I have the concept of establishing partnership through giving circles. Question. Would you recommend the individuals within your giving circle serving as board members as well? Mm, I like that question. They do. I mean, we are part of the community. That's that's why we started a giving circle. That's why they decided to go on this journey with me. So um, many of my giving circle members are part of community and serve on boards and serve on initiatives and serve on task force. Um, and that's how we get to know community. Yeah. And I like that question, um, Joy. And I, I, 
I can see the essence of it is that it's kind of like what um, Lindsay was talking earlier about, you know, what your board is going to be. It seems like with this circle, it's already an inner circle group, it sounds like, right? It's just not like random people forming a given circle. It's already a close group, right? Is, is that fair from what you've seen? It can be. Now, there are giving, if you go to the directory, um, I will say that community investment, my doctorate is in the community investment network. And okay. so we are community. Black and brown folks are community. Black folks, the, the foundation, we build community. Um, there are some new tactics where people are like, build it and they will come. What we know, what I know for sure is that's not sustainable. Because if I don't like you, as Lizzie said, he ain't gonna work with you. I'm not going to work with you and I'm definitely not going to give you my money. Black folks already have a trust issue. Why would we <laughs> be sharing our money and our funds amongst people we don't like? So um, it is not, um, for me, it's not sustainable if you just build it and, it and it comes because that doesn't work in our culture, in our DNA. Um, it might work for others. I love it. I love it. And that's why we're here. We're getting what works for us. So, Miss Betty, if you don't like them, then don't put them on your boy. Mm. <laughs> So let's see here. Uh, Shanika so, um, has a question. So Cal Calvin, um, Margaret asked a question earlier about uh, have I encountered someone who felt lost, was a lost cause or case, and despite many attempts, I had to inform them that they need to go in a different direction, and how do you tell them that? Um, what we do is I always tell people, you know, businesses have grand openings and they also have grand closings. So we want to make sure that if a person is going down the road, and if even if you're losing $1 per month, I'll ask the person, how long can you continue to lose that $1 a month? Um, are we going to make a turn at some point in time? And do is the business financially viable? And is the business scalable? Or is there a market for the business? And I'm quick to tell people is let's use our money wisely. And if it's not working, that just means that there is not a, um, a profitable market uh, for that business. So you might need to you know, turn it into a hobby or do that for fun, but don't make that your, um, your business trying to uh, fight the cause. Because if you don't have a client base that's willing to pay you for it, then that's not a truly a business. That's a hobby. Yeah, you know, thank, thanks for that, Lindsay. Thanks for grabbing that question because I missed it. Um, you know, I, I love that. And I'll explain, you know, I joke about the, the ugly baby concept. I'll explain to you guys what, what it means. It's, it's humor, but it actually has meaning. You know, sometimes with businesses, we, we can be so in love with the businesses that I remember I was talking to some students many years ago and they were like, hey, what one piece of advice would you give, you know, for a person starting a business? And I thought about it because it was a new question for me at the time. I said, hmm, don't forget to make money. And he kind of laughed and he's like, hmm, I think that makes sense. But it was simple, but it was powerful. Why? Because sometimes when you're starting a business, as Lindsay is alluding to, there are so many other factors. It's your passion. It's your, you know, it's 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 so much that you're into it that you may be losing money. But I like what Lindsay said. Some people lose money for five years, and it's okay because you plan to lose money for five years. But if you can only afford, as Lindsay say, to lose money for six months, then your business may not be viable or as strong as you need it to be. I, I like that. Let's see, what other questions? Um, any other questions I missed? Let's see, there's a question from V and from Shanika. You you want to grab that one um, from V, uh, Lindsay? Okay. Okay, uh, it says, join Lind Lindsay and Joy, what are your thoughts on uh, 
L3Cs, and do you find that those are good vehicles for organizations that would like to receive donations or have limited liability protections? So that's the triple L, uh, LC. I tell people this as far as uh, with, especially with LLCs, cause that's the, that's the, the, what we call it, the coffee de jour of, of a business. Everybody wants to start an LLC because they think that's going to be the, the catch-all. Here's what I tell people. You can run a business in your name as a sole proprietorship until it makes you from a liability standpoint or from a tax standpoint, go into another structure. So stay, a lim- I mean, a uh, sole proprietor as long as possible until maybe your liability, maybe you're doing business with bigger corporations or you have uh, some, some liability protections that you need to protect yourself from. But you can run that business as a sole proprietorship. You can even get a tax ID number as a sole proprietorship. So, but even if you start an LLC and you are a one person, it's still considered a sole proprietorship because you're a single member LLC. Uh, the triple, um, the triple LLCs, what what they do a lot of times is they're considered to provide more liability protection. But I can tell you this: if somebody's going to uh, sue your business and your name is a part of it in any way, they're going to sue you too. So don't uh, allow someone to just sell you a business structure because they're saying it's going to provide you some protections, you know, get some seconds opinions on that before you go down that road. I like it. I love it. I hear the accountant coming out too, y'all. That's, <laughs> that's that tax speaking, you know, I, you know, and I'm, I didn't realize that about you, Lindsay, but you're right. You got that tax behind you. So you watching these things a little closer and a little different. Let's take two more questions. Let's just take one for joy. Is there a question for joy in the chat? You know, typically the home team could help me, but you know, they took off. I saw I saw something about um, Caribbean partners, and so what I will say about giving circles, and people ask people have asked me this recently, like, is a giving circle a susu? And it's not a susu because a susu is a susu? is a collective. A susu is a collective where people get the money. So you put your money in, and then maybe in six months you get that money back. So you might oh, put five hundred in and get five thousand. In, in a certain amount of time. And other cultures like Guy in, in Asia, um, uh, they have circles, they have opportunities where people, communities come together and basically fund each other. Um, the giving circle gives to community. So there are giving circles that actually uh, have members or members of community that are in it and maybe they get the grant, but they are doing the work of community. Um, not It is not necessarily that I'm gonna get, my return on investment is me seeing how community is bettered by me pushing out the money. Um, oftentimes I say give till it hurts, right? Um, when people are establishing how they want to give and what they want to give to. Yeah, I like the way that sounds. You know, I never remember what that susu thing is, but no, it's a giving circle is not a way to make money. It's yeah. a way to give money. Um, any other last questions? One, last question. I think there was one more. Shanika's question. Uh, it. It's always been in my spirit to start a community center in my rural hometown to serve the black and brown, you know, people. But I've never known where to start. Hmm. Sounds start like a statement. Where you, are. You, you are there. You you can start where you are. You get a, a group of people um, together. You all can talk about it strategically. Talk about how you give your time, talent, and treasure. A lot of times I've even worked with students when I'm talking to college kids. They're like, Miss Joy, I don't have no money. And I might question, I might beg to differ as they say they're going to have hibachi after they get through talking to me. But, or I say, you know, you got those Jordans on your feet, but I'm not, I'm not counting your money. 
what I am telling you is if you sacrifice and maybe don't go to dinner or maybe not buy all the shoes, right? But maybe you leave with your time and your talent and you all collectively put your money together and maybe at the end of the semester or the end of the year, you give your treasure. You don't have, there's no formula like you have to do it one way. You can do your time and talent and then give your treasure. You can give time for two years and do research and figure out where you want to do what your what your giving circle wants to do. Because once again, you're listening to the whole circle. It's not all about you. If that's the point, just be the philanthropist that you are and give to be McKenzie. You know, do what you got to do. But if you want to be with a collective, you have to listen to all the voices and make sure that everybody is aligned. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Joy. Thank you, Lindsay. So now you guys know what I am going to be up to for the next three months. I want to say thank you to Joy and Lindsay for being here tonight. Thank you guys for sharing your wisdom. Thank you for being the connectors that you are. I mean, I'm getting a little envious of Davis, you know, because all of this stuff kind of goes back to Davis. I think that's what they call it, you know, Big D University. What they what y'all call it? But anyway, <laughs> Davis University. You know, I'm a little <laughs> jealous, you know, and fam, you know, I got a little love for fam now because, you know, I, you know, you know, all right, fam, I see you. But, you know, just thank you guys because I see you and I appreciate you guys. You know, I want to say thank you for Michelle for um, buying us some cups of coffee. And I saw your nice words flash on the screen. Just so you guys know, the work we do here now is 100% supported by viewers and donors like you. We started um, this Buy a Cup of Coffee campaign because we are creatives. We are people who just come together like friends and family, and we create a space where us, people like us, can talk about the topics that are most important to us. What have I discovered as I was chatting with some people? They're like, can you give me one word to describe the people who show up at Southern Soul? I'm like, I don't know, but I thought about it. And I came up with this phrase, you guys are typically the curious and the, what was my word earlier? I won't say adventurous, the, the um, uh, 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 I can't remember my word right now. I'm going to say adventurous for now. But the people who go beyond the call of duty, the people who don't just live life and be like, oh, this is fine. They typically are yearning for something more. So I appreciate you for being you because the reason you're here tonight is because you're that person who definitely wants more. So we appreciate you guys. You can scan the code or go to the URL and share a cup of coffee just to say thanks because we got some awesome things coming up. Thank you for joining us at Southern Soul Livestream Talk Show. Join us weekly at soullivestream.com. If you're joining us live, we'll take a quick music break and then come back for a discussion with the audience.